0: This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I, uh, I didn't get the chance to go to way too many movies when I was a kid. My parents were, I grew up in kind of a strict household. And I was very surprised when in 1973 my parents allowed me to go with, uh, with a couple of my friends to see the movie Billy Jack. Now that's a, this is an OK Boomer story, alright? So how many of you guys remember the movie Billy Jack? Right? Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm really amazed. I think the only reason that my my parents let me go is because Mike's mom went with us. And uh, so I'm 14. We're sitting there. It was so uncool to be with somebody's mom. But this movie was like, wow. I mean, you had to see it. It was like a, a like a, almost like a cult hit. It was a big hit. Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend it. That, I wouldn't that you rush home and and stream it. I, no. But there was one line in this movie, I remember the guy Billy Jack was a, he was a green, he was a Vietnam vet and a green beret and a martial artist. And i never forget one of his lines. He said to this guy who was the enemy, he said, I'm gonna take this foot and I'm gonna put it on that side of your head. And there's not a thing you can do to stop it. Now, I, I, I kind of filtered his actual response on that. But I just, I just remembered, we all love that line. We're like, man, that is so cool. He's going to take his foot and put it on, and nothing he can do to stop it. And so I'm going to do a little mini-series here in July, and it's called Can't Stop This. <laughs> Not to be confused with MC Hammer's Can't <laughs> Touch This. <laughs> this is Can't Stop This, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, about uh, some Christian attitude. Now, when you say attitude, everyone you know, different things come to mind. A lot of times people think, they think of attitude, they think of this little girl, little Brittany. Little Brittany, she was digging a hole in her backyard and her neighbor stuck his nose over the fence and he noticed, boy, she's, you know, she's only six or seven, and boy, she was digging this, this hole. And he said, hi, little Brittany. She never looked up, she said, hi. He said, what are you doing, sweetie? She, she said, I'm, I'm digging a hole to, to bury my pet parakeet, Petey. And uh, her neighbor said, well, I'm sorry. And he watched her for a little bit. He, he said, that's an awfully big hole for a parakeet. She never looked up, she just kept digging. She said, that's because he's inside your cat." <laughs> now that's some attitude right there. But, but that attitude, really attitude, one of the definitions of attitude is behavior it's, it's, it's a way of thinking that affects behavior. A way of thinking that affects behavior. It, you know, there are some things where you better bring some attitude. If you do any kind of sport fighting, if you're an MMA fighter or a boxer, if you ever notice those guys, they have a lot of attitude, They have, because you know you're facing a lot of opposition. You can't just kind of tippy toe into a, a boxing match or an MMA fight. You better bring some attitude like, I- I'm going good, I'm good to win. You, when those guys stay as time and go like, I don't know if I'm going to win or not. They're, he's awfully big and he looks really mean. He's going to hit me real hard. Don't put money on that guy right here. He's going down. They usually bring a lot of attitude to it, and you have to. Top flight athletics, there's some attitude that you bring to that. I'm not talking about the league where everyone gets a trophy. I'm talking about the, the leagues where they're competitive. Nothing wrong with those leagues. I think it's a great introduction to sports for kids, but after a while, there, there needs to be those leagues where uh, the winners take off. And, uh, and you can you compete. Yeah, that's, uh, don't send me emails. I'm just telling, I'm sharing with you that this, this will help. You know, actually, today, we have second and third place and stuff. Back in Paul's day, when he wrote, he said only one gets the prize. And so it used to be the only the, no, no silver, no bronze, it was only the gold medal. But that competitive athletics, you have to have, you better bring some attitude to that. Uh, there's uh, commission sales, straight commission sales. Straight commission sales is the kind of sales where if you don't sell, you don't eat. It's, you don't sell, you, it can be high paying because it's high risk, high reward. But I, I did that for a little bit when I sold door-to-door and uh, back in, in college. And it was straight commission. I, you only got paid on, on what you sold. And so there's a lot of pressure there and there's risk there. So you better have this attitude that I, I can do it. He said, well, what place does the Christian's attitude have in that? And actually there's more than you think. Ethan was in children's church and he was drawing and he was, more, he was very intent on his drawing and his children's church teacher stuff, looked over his shoulder, she said, Ethan, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing God. She said, sweetheart, uh, no one knows what God looks like. Ethan kept drawing. He said, they will when I'm done. (laughs) And and you think, well, you know, little Ethan blessed his heart. But there's there's an attitude and a mentality that we have to be able to bring to the Christian life. And oftentimes, we don't emphasize this enough. Look what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness godliness faith love patience gentleness and then said fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses so paul is writing to timothy he's saying timothy we need to pursue these things these are good qualities but here's the thing we have to understand if you're pursuing these qualities don't think they won't come easily they come with resistance you're trying to be kind in an unkind world, there's some, there's some resistance to that. If you're walking in patience, well, I can promise you there's some resistance to that. There's you know, walking, pursuing righteousness. All these things have a, a level of resistance. And then Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. He didn't say cruise the good cruise of faith. It's fight the good fight. And he often likened it to a fight. I mean, I am so glad that there are people, men and women who have been willing to fight for our country, or we would not be free. There would be foreign flags flying over it right now, and it's, it's a fight. We, we expect that, and yet it also likens us in the church to being, to being the, the body of Christ, and Paul also told them, he's, he said, endure hardness as a good soldier. And so there's this mentality that we bring, and it's a it's a, can't touch this mentality. It's a, I'm going to win. And you really pretty much have to make that determination because in life there's so many things that pull and, and work against you to fight the good fight of faith. You have to bring an attitude to the table. you got to bring a I'm, I'm winning this. I'm, I'm going to stay in this. You've got to make the determination. When, when the dust settles, I'm still going to be serving God. I don't care what anybody says. I'm in this to win it. And that's a, that's a mentality that we, we need. And that's why I'm able to just can't touch this. So we, we need that. Anthony Ant- Antonin uh, Scalia, remember he was the Supreme Court justice, uh, passed away in 2016. He was a devout believer. And uh, he was addressing a group of the Knights of Columbus down in Baton Rouge one day. And he said this, he said, God in his, he said, God knew, he said, assumed that the wise of this world would view Christians as fools. He said, and God has not been disappointed in that. He knew that. They looked at this group and he said, if you don't get anything from my message today, he said, get this. He said, have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. He says, be a fool for Christ. He said, and have the courage to, view, to have the courage To suffer the contempt of a sophisticated world. I thought that was, those are are fighting words. Suffer the contempt of a sophisticated world. That some people may look at you and go, I'm too educated to believe that. And you're willing to go, that's on you, bro. But I'm going to believe it. I believe God is, and I believe he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I believe he's good. And regardless of what you believe, this did not happen by accident. God created it. He made it. We're made in his image. And I'm going to believe him all the way down to the end. And I'm willing to suffer the contempt. And you think, well, bless your heart, Alan. You're just stupid. Well, just let me stay stupid and free and enjoying and relaxing and full of peace. There's a man in the Bible who had a, can't touch this attitude in fact he said you can't touch this wall his name was Nehemiah Nehemiah had a job that was really uh, he was in the Persian capital it was almost like he was the chief of staff he was the king's cupbearer. It was a high-ranking position it was a nice job air-conditioned job well you know it was inside job, clean and he heard about the exiles in Jerusalem how the wall was had, had been broken down the people were just discouraged and it really hit his heart and Nehemiah moves back to Jerusalem and begins to rebuild the wall and he got the people together it was a God plan and he got the people together but he also had to have a mentality because he did not do it without opposition there were people that did not want the Jewish people doing well or prospering at all and so they really came out against him. So let's read a little bit of his story in Nehemiah 6. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. That Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying... I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Nehemiah had a can't touch this mentality, but I love, I love his, his thought process. He said, I'm doing, he believed he was doing something great. He believed he was doing something for God. It wasn't just personal ambition. I'm fine with personal ambition, but there's something beyond personal ambition. He was doing this to really, it it was going to benefit the people of Israel much more than it's ever going to benefit him. But it was going to help their morale. It was going to help their physical well-being to rebuild the wall. It was going to be something that was really going to be a blessing to them. And Nehemiah, he had the right perspective. He said, this is a great work. And then he refused to, to to come down with their distractions. You know, their distractions, their pressure, if he had come down and responded to their pressure, he would have had to come down to their level. They kept, come down and talk, come down and visit. He said, they thought to do me harm. Come down into the plane of Oh No. Now, you don't want to go to the plane of Oh No. Oh No, that's just, you just don't, you don't want to go there. But he was, he was just, refusing to give in to the distractions of the enemy. and it, But you know, the enemy was relentless. He answered them once and they came back four times. But he was just as relentless. No, I'm not going to stop doing a great work to come down to your level. I'm not going to do it. It would have been a distraction. It would have stopped the work from being done. And so you think, well, I bet they gave up then. Mm-mm. They did not. Look what happened next. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time, fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king, and you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying there's a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. When Nehemiah recognized what was going on, he recognized the enemy's attempt to cause him to be afraid, and the enemy worked when threats. He was threatening, but his threats were based on lies, and Nehemiah did not. He did not respond to the lies. He did, He resisted the lies because he knew the end game of fear. He said it would weaken his hands. It would weaken his ability to do the work. Fear does not give us strength. Fear weakens us, and so he he said, no, no. He said, you're just, you're, you're making this stuff up. But then I love the way he prays. He doesn't pray, oh God, make Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, kill them, Lord, just kill them dead. And just make them go away, make them stop, Lord. He just, he didn't pray that. He said, Lord, strengthen my hands. And I like that. Can't touch this. You can't touch this wall. I'm going to build it. They built that wall in 52 days. It was such a miracle that they built that wall that, that Nehemiah, when he wrote about it said, everybody around there knew God was in this. And they built that wall and helped that nation and he finished it, but it took, it took some attitude. How do you develop a can't touch this Christian attitude? Here's something, I, I, if you don't get anything I say they get this, you have to believe that what you're doing has value. You've got to believe that in your life, what you're doing, that we're not just kind of wandering through life. You know, just kind of hoping things go okay. Waiting for the next show to stream on Netflix. Waiting for Jesus to come back. You're going to wait until you retire. Wait until the kids leave. Wait until the grandkids come. Wait until the kids come back. Just You can kind of live your life wandering. We're not wandering through life. We're building something, and we're building something that has value. You know, to build a marriage that honors God is a good work. To have a family that honors God, it's a good work. Didn't say it's easy. It's a good work, though. To, to have a career or a business that you tie into the kingdom of God, it, that, that's a good work. And, of course, our service for God. You say, well, Alan, I don't, I don't know how I can do that. Can I, can, listen, this is a faith proposition. We do this by faith. We believe that what we're doing, we do for the Lord. Look what it says in Colossians. It said, whatever you you do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Do you realize you can serve God in whatever you do? say, well, Alan, you can serve God. You're a pastor. I can serve God. This is my job. But you can serve job. You can serve God at home. You can serve him on the job. You can serve him whatever you do. And if you'll assign value to that, it'll give purpose to that. Because if you believe what you do has little value, you'll be pulled off course by little things. But if you believe what you do has big value, little things won't pull you as much. Say, well, I don't understand that. Yeah, you do. You've been on vacation before. And the week before vacation is the most productive week of your entire life. Can I get a witness, somebody? Because you're like, oh, we're going on vacation. Come hell or high water, we're going on vacation. So that means things come up during the week and you're handling things, you're dealing with things because you are going on vacation and nothing's going to stop you. It is a highly productive week when Matthew was born, Matthew was the first, he was the first child and first grandchild on both sides. First grandchildren on both sides have the double portion money-making anointing on them. (laughs) The first grandchild on both sides, they suck money in like nobody's business. We were in Bible school. We were about to starve in Bible school and the Christmas break came and my parents said, Hey, Joy's parents are coming up. We all want to see the baby come home for Christmas. And we're like, oh yeah, because Christmas meant food and money, <laughs> of which we had very little. And so, man, we're getting ready to go on, on, on this vacation to take this break. I woke up the next morning. We were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I looked out the window and everything was white. I went, Joy, it's snowing. And it had been snowing. There was snow all over the ground. I'm not talking about this little stuff. I'm talking about serious, like like the freeze stuff. It, it was snowing. And Joy looked at me, she said, what are we going to do with Matthew? I said, wrap him up. <laughs> we bundled that. It's a wonder we didn't cut the circulation. Now you have a, it, it, you know how it is with first children? It, it's like 50 degrees, you have them bundled like it's eight below. And man, we, we could barely get him in the car seat. He was so stiff. We pushed him in the car seat. We took off. We're heading... There's nobody on the road. We're shutting, they're shutting roads down behind us. I had to stop, I had to talk to a state trooper to let me on I-40. He's like, son, you sure you want to go? I said, yes, sir. He said, we're about to close this highway. I said, I got a front wheel drive car. It's the only thing about that Reliant K car that was worth anything. It was front-wheel drive, and that mean it would go in the snow. And, man, we're going in the snow. Why? Because we had some purpose behind what we were doing. We had, so there was some belief behind what we were doing that we were heading to the promised land where there was food and there was money, and we are heading out. We're going. We're going. Listen. Listen. That works on vacation, that works in life. You gotta believe what you're doing has value. You gotta believe what you're doing is important. You're not just wandering through life, you're building families, you're building marriages, you're building businesses, you're building careers, you're doing something for God and it works. And when you do, then some of the little stuff, some of the distractions, you're able to resist some of the distractions. Now guys, there's a difference between distractions and emergencies. Emergencies require action. Distractions always have a choice. You choose whether you want to get involved in distractions. You ever sat down just to get some work done, and you go to your computer, and and you've got to look up something, and you see something, and you click on it. And an hour and a half later, after 14 YouTube videos of talking animals, and about four tornadoes, and then endless TikTok dancing, you, you realize where has an hour and a half gone? And you got distracted. Because distractions will, you, you know what the purpose of distractions is? They take you from high value activities to low value activities. And they're saying right now that one of the best things that you can do as a parent is to teach your child to be focused. And to, be, and, to, and to live as much as possible free from distraction. They say people who are able to do that will be the ones who succeed in this upcoming generation because we're such a distracted bunch. But so many distractions in life, and, w- and what we're doing just kind of wandering through. How many things can be just, dis- listen, how much family drama is nothing but a distraction? How much of it you realize, I don't need to get involved in this? I don't need to wait. My sister-in-law's got a problem with, with her, her friend down the street. I, I, don't, I don't need to be involved in that. Y'all work it out. I'll pray for y'all. And it's a distraction. And it, it just, man, it just holds you back. Here's, here's the next thing. We have to recognize, we have to recognize and resist the attempts of fear. Fear is, is present in our world. Fear is always coming our way. But we have to recognize it for what it is. A lot of fear works off of threats. If you don't, or if you do, this is going to happen. You know, oftentimes when people come to a relationship with the Lord, the enemy, he'll threaten them. Man, you you give your heart to Jesus, and your fun is over. You'll never have fun again. You'll no one will want anything to do with you. It's a lie. You have to recognize it's a lie, that threats threats are based on lies. And the end game of of threats and fear is to weaken you. Because if you, in fact, threats and fear have no, they have no value unless you act on it. They have no power unless you act on it. Paul wrote the church at, at Philippi and this is what he said. It says, above all, you must live as, this is out of the New Living Translation, you must live as a citizen of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them, that they're gonna be destroyed, but that you're gonna be saved even by God himself. Oh, man, I I thought, man, what a great goal to shoot for. Don't you wanna get to the place where when the enemy starts to threaten, you just laugh. (laughs) Not gonna happen. I'm gonna destroy your marriage. No, you're not. I'm gonna take your kids, all your kids, your kids are never gonna turn out okay. (laughs) You're wrong. And I'm in no way intimidated by you. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to my kids. My kids are going to grow up. They're going to serve God. They're all going to love God all their life. We're going to have a strong marriage, and we're going to have a strong family. And you are not going to have a say-so in this. You say, what's a, You say, what's that? Say, so Alan, come on, Alan, it's July 4th. You're supposed to be sharing something about freedom. I am sharing something about freedom. If you're going to get free, you've got to fight for it. you got to look and say, no, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith, and I refuse to give in. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be serving God next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. I'm going to serve him until Jesus comes back. So is my whole family. We're going to live for God, and guess what? We're going to do well, and the Lord's going to help us and bless the work of our hands. How does that sound to you? What you don't want to get into doing is like, oh Lord, please make the devil stop. Don't do it, don't do it. The Lord said, you do something. You resist him and he will flee from you. So we submit ourselves to God, we resist the devil. So you sound kind of sparky today, Alan. It's cause I feel very sparky today. <laughs> and it's because I don't want to see people live their lives intimidated by the threats of the enemy. It's intended to weaken our hands. And that's not what god has for us you know i was reading a story the other day that uh, caught me a little bit by surprise it was about a man named joshua Hald- halderman joshua halderman had a wife named winifred they lived in saskatchewan canada and during the great depression that hit united states and it hit canada they lost a five thousand acre farm he had to start from scratch start all over again he tried chiropractic medicine, he tried some some other things that didn't seem to work out. But then Joshua Haldeman found his passion in life and it was flying. And so in 1950, he and his wife and their kids packed everything up and moved to South Africa. And not only that, but they, they disassembled, they had a single engine, a 1948 airplane. They disassembled it, put it in crates and moved it down to South Africa, then reassembled it down there. A few years later, Joshua and Winifred got in their plane and made a solo flight from Africa to Australia and back. The round trip they did was over 30,000 miles. In fact, aviation says they believe they're the only pilots to fly a single engine plane that far. To put it in perspective, Charles Lindbergh 27 years earlier flew 3,600 miles. They flew over 30,000 miles. Now, if you're like me, you've never heard of Joshua and Winifred Haldeman, but I bet you've heard of their grandson. His name is Elon Musk. Elon Musk grew up listening to his parents or his grandparents tell these stories about their adventures. He watched endless slideshows of the things that they did. His biographer, Musk's biographer said that this planted the, the seedbed of his imagination. and said that Elon Musk stood on the shoulders of those stories to become the founder of SpaceX, Tesla. I think he was involved in PayPal. His net worth is over $170 billion, give or take a few billion. I thought when I read that story, it's interesting how hearing from his grandparents, he stood on those stories, how those stories impacted him. And then I thought, hey, hey, wait a minute. We got got some stories. We got stories of people like Nehemiah, people like David, people like Ruth, people like Samson. We got stories of people like Paul and the apostles And we have stood on their stories. And these are stories of men and women who have believed God in the midst of difficult times. And God calls them to come through and to prevail and to win. And you talk about a can't touch this mentality. We have in our family, in the body of Christ, we've got great stories of men and women. And we've stood on their shoulders. But not only have we stood on their shoulders, we've stood on the shoulders of the one who defeated all, who hell couldn't touch, the grave couldn't touch, the Romans couldn't touch, who defeated it all. And you talk about, you talk about can't stop this? When they kicked that stone away from the grave and Jesus stepped out, I don't think that was the first thing he said, but it was sure enough the truth. Can't touch this. And we are his family. We're cut out of the same cloth. I love the fact the Christian attitude is we're loving and kind to one another. But when we look at life, man, we've got that attitude that said, by the grace of God, we win. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? your bowed, and eyes are closed. Today, if you came and or you're watching online and you say, you know what, Alan, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know that I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm really not sure about it, but I want to be. Or maybe you're like I was. I was raised in church loved the Lord and got away from Him. And you recognize, man, I'm just far away from God and I want to come back. Well, we're going to say a prayer. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front. If you're watching online, you can, you can pray this with us. But this is a, a powerful prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If that's you that I'm talking to today. Here or online, you say, Alan, I'm not sure where I stand with the Lord, but I want to be. Or I know I want to come back. Would you pray for me? I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up across this auditorium. Say, Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you, thank you, great, thank you, thanks. You can put your hands down, we're gonna pray. If you didn't lift your hand and you wanted to, you can still jump in on this prayer right here. It's a powerful prayer. It's a prayer that changes not just things in your life, it changes you. We're gonna pray it with you as a church family. If you're watching online, you can pray it out loud. If you're by yourself, if you're with others, you can pray it quietly. We're gonna pray this with you as a church family, say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, his heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Father, thank you. For those that have prayed this prayer, the ones who prayed it today, ones who prayed it in time past, thank you, Father, for the ones that seeds have been planted and they recognize that you are the only way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you for that. Thank you we have opportunity to receive what you've done for us. And we thank you for those who've made that decision today in times past, and for those who've come back to you. And Father, for those here, those who've already made that decision, those living and walking for you, thank you that you strengthen our hands. The strong Christian prayers, Lord, Don't make the problems go away. Lord, strengthen our hands to handle life in a way that honors you. Lord, we give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.